So this touch factor, to be very strategic about it, we need it. Every single human being needs it. And the moment you have some type of commitment in your partnership, I think there has to be some kind of defined conversation about what that's going to look like. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Today, we're wrapping up Dr. Chapman's five love languages until we provide the bonus episode because Elliot's work with couples over 30 years, he has integrated based on and inspired by Dr. Chapman's work, some other ways that we can communicate and receive love as couples. But today, I'm excited for this topic, Elliot, because I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know if there's really a guy who doesn't love physical touch. That may be because my husband, is that's number one for him. I don't know. Words of affirmation and physical touch are neck and neck. And I think I mentioned it in one of the other episodes we did on this. Dan said to me early on, and I think he was just like laying the groundwork because he was married before. And obviously, as the marriage wasn't working. And he's on the confrontive side of issues. He's so an he owl. Came, came right out. Yeah, he's like, this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't say it that directly. But I mean, I was like, okay, so someone's expressing needs early on. Yeah. And he said, men just need affection and appreciation. And I thought, that's pretty easy. So what do you think? Is that a blanket statement? I think the reason Dr. Chapman bookended the first with the last of his five was because I think they're the two most vital and the two most uniquely tied to our human condition and our neurological functioning. Oh, bring it in the science. You and I have done so much work in this. It's so popular in our psychology field to talk about the Romanian orphanage studies in the 70s and 80s and kids survived Failure to thrive is the failure, way, yeah. failure to thrive with touch, even stunting their heights, all kinds oh, yeah. of amazing and their cognitive things. Cognitive development, yeah. Yeah, the food in the water was important, of course. Food the shelter in the milk. was there, but they did not have enough skin on skin contact in infancy, which. So, yeah. my point about that is yes, I think men are a little more directly aligned with the instantaneous nature of the need for touch. And remember that touch goes two different ways in our brain it's like the sensory, pure sensory, and then it's the emotional link that's automatically with it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So I think men are more prone to that, but the words of affirmation with the touch sandwich, if you will, the two breads, the piece of the bread there, I think are super important. And the only time in my 30 years of counseling, not just couples, but a lot of crisis work, a lot of trauma recovery work, if touch was missing in the attachment days, then everything changes with the whole touch reflection. Or if touch was abused, the touch became violent instead of caring and sexual instead of affectionate way too early, then I think the whole touch grid gets thrown off. But on that side of the coin, touch is still highly important to be walked through, understood as couples. Okay, but hold on. Usually we say the meat of the sandwich is the most important part. And because you're a carnivore and I'm becoming even more carnivorous, (laughs) I need to take your analogy and we need to rework it. That's fine. (laughs) Because the bread is... The I'm carbs about, are no good for us. I'm talking about the containment. How's that? Yes. The bread is the containment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but acts of service, quality time, gifts, challenge, all the other things we'll talk about in our bonus episode that I've worked through. I think all of it goes out the door if the affirmation of the words and the affirmation of the touch aren't consistent, steady, and regular. To celebrate Valentine's Week, we're giving away a copy of Dr. Gary Chapman's classic book, The Five Love Languages. To enter, just rate and review Love and Life on Apple Podcasts between February 13th and February 24th. 
Take a screenshot of your review, post it in your Instagram stories, and be sure to tag me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. The winner will be picked at random and will receive the book plus a few love and life freebies. We're moving this podcast into a more holistic understanding of love and life. Okay, that's a big umbrella. And when you spoke to the cognitive with words, so that's, of course, take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life, which, of course, gets back to one of our preferred therapeutic orientations, Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. And then also you talked about the physiological and how, and of course, talking about the failure to thrive with infants, but I don't think humans can thrive if we don't have that in person and certainly with key people, not that we're going to be hugging it out with everybody, but with key people in our lives, we need that touch and certainly in our romantic partnerships. Yeah. And the window of birth to age two, I think is the most important because it's so connected to the attachment bond. Yep. And so if people didn't grow up with either the words of affirmation or the touch, then how they view all that going forward is gigantic. In regulatory functional relationship, whether romantic or not, all the research on touch is gigantically for the positivity of it and the impact of it. If a server touches someone's arm while they're waiting, you were waged just at one time. Of course, I never was. <laughs> but if they touch, the research says 10 to 15% greater tips simply by figuring out a way how to touch the client appropriately. Dang, I never knew that back in the day. You were working your smile and everything, but maybe you didn't go to the touch factor. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Same thing with the uh, like car sales. If not only can they get the handshake for you when you come in, but they can have some way, can I get you a cup of coffee and get you mm. water? Just gently touch your hand. Increase in sales is like 30, 33%. It's just ridiculous measures. Mm. The really cool experiment out of University of Illinois that I use in my interpersonal relationships class, they studied NBA basketball teams and the teams that touch the most in the first half of the season win the most in the second half. Here's the what? greatest athletes in the world, these men. Yeah. The high fives, the butt slaps, the fist bumps, the chest bumps, all of that stuff has an automatic touch factor influence towards greater team, greater chemistry, greater trust. Yeah. So again, I just gave a real wide breadth of a bunch of neurological studies that are so cool. Duke University is like the leading university doing touch studies because I was listening to a bunch of stuff over the weekend. It was super cool. But it matters. So all this stuff matters. So when we're talking about dating and romance, how we touch, when we touch, why we touch, all super important. And I think this is a moment to pause and focus on something that we talk about quite a bit on this podcast, which is pacing. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about this touch, and one of the things we're seeing right now with the hookup culture, with the apps providing someone with someone in their bed every night, if they so desire, we're putting the physical touch way before where it should be. So I think just because this is the focus of today's episode, let's speak to that a little bit. Yeah, let me give one point right off the research I was reading about and listening to this weekend. So that's why hookup sex, another reason you brought up that it's so dangerous is because they now have done the research to know these two different parts of the brain, the one that's just based on the physiological sensory touch, what you feel, and then the emotions that are involved with it, they have to be aligned to have comprehensive connection, eros, erotic sexual love. And so when so many couples jump right to this physiological, and it feels great, of course, well, most of the time, physiological greatness, if there's no emotional connection and soul, you're splitting yourself psychologically, let alone damaging your neurological bonding and the process. It's just gigantic. The research backs what we've been thinking and what the Bible teaches for generations. And we are going to address, when you talked about that splitting, it reminded me of 
the sexual wound in yes. our woundedness series. We have recorded that. We were just waiting. Part for, one, we did, yeah. Part one, where we were waiting for the right time to release it. It's a heavy episode, so just warning that at the end of it, you'll hear me just, I went into a very sad place for that splitting because it's exactly the opposite of what sexual intimacy is supposed to be, which is supposed to elevate the couple's connection and deepen their understanding of each other in this beautiful way. But because so many people have been fractured by woundedness, maybe with abuse and or just promiscuity in adolescence, searching for that deep connection through ways that in fact, do the opposite. Yeah. One of the ways I've used it as an example with the football guys here at Judson, I was talking to a couple guys who had great questions about when they heard me teach on this stuff, I'm doing a manhood series with them over the next couple of weeks. They're asking great questions. And so the analogy I came up with on the fly, which I think helped was these guys lift all the time, right? They're, it's part of their job. It's part of their role. It's part of their condition of their scholarship. I said, look how much time you spend in preparation before you hit the gym, before you hit the, the weight room because I'm in the track walking every morning, I see them. So 30 minutes of stretching and aerobic exercise and movements and kinesiology, then they go and then they slowly build up their squats and their bench and everything. I said, imagine getting to the gym at six in the morning, jumping in the weight room and try to do your personal best instantly. You're gonna tear a shoulder muscle, a pec muscle, rip a hamstring. It's exactly what we do in love relationships when we go straight to sex. Just like rips apart what is meant to build intimacy will actually fragment it. So not to jump ahead and do all the sexual wound part two series right now, but I think in that pacing thing, which you brought up, the pacing style and pacing condition, that's why it's so important to go simple and slow. A gentle touch on the hand when you're at a restaurant on a second or third date, just saying, hey, I'm really glad we're having this time. I'm enjoying the time. A simple hug, not a hug that's meant to induce or influence, but just a simple hug. I enjoyed that time. And then you know how I feel. You and I are in the different stages of confrontation versus avoidance. But after a while, then I you no know, date five or six, I would ask somebody before I kiss them. I'd say, is it okay to give you a goodnight kiss? And if it's cheek, fine, that's great. And I'm not saying it has to be lips or something or be a makeout session, just building a slow, steady pace. The physiological results of these touches are so important and the hormones that are released, again, they're meant to be slowly, gradually built up. Just like when we have a little baby, and they come out, we're not throwing them up in the air and catching them. Right. <laughs> we're just snug- right. We're yeah. snuggling them and we're holding them very carefully yeah. while we feed them and everything. We don't start roughhouse play at three months. I think those kind of bondings and touch things are comparative in the romantic world. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the cultural expectations. So historically, I, know I love this courtship kind of pacing that you're describing, which to some folks might be like, that is so old school. It's archaic. And I would think even women in my generation would see that as being maybe not even feminist. And I'm thinking, no, it actually is uplifting women to be cherished and to be pursued in an appropriate manner, not to be this object like conquest. I just want to get you in my bed and that's it. I think about an old school gentleman, the first time he kisses her, maybe on the hand, right? I'm like going way old school here because as I look at it through our more modern eyes, I see that some of the efforts, and this devotes an entire episode, some of the efforts to have equality with women, which of course, I'm the beneficiary of all that. Women's suffrage to women being able to, Title IX, to have women playing sports and so forth and having the same funding in schools. But some of these efforts, women can just be like men, have not not helped preserve and cherish and honor women to feel that they are 
to be uplifted, be equal as men. And it frustrates me as a woman because I know that these efforts were not intended to have women feel commodified or that they are still objectified. So that concerns me. Yeah. And the research, again, to tie into this piece on the difference between men and women involved in the touch process is men don't touch each other nearly as often as women touch each other. So they've done the study again on men friendships compared to women friendships. So women will touch each other all the time and not think it's sexual or anything. It's just that connection and love and laughing and giggling and hugs or whatever and snuggles even. Where men just don't do that. Where do men do that? They tend to do it in sports teams or military. Mm-hmm. And you talk to former athletes, Dan and I being examples, that bond you have with those teammates is beyond any other bond in your school experience. That kind of touch then, when we come into a romantic relationship, a woman's used to a lot more touch. A man sees the touch as more significant. Sexual, exactly, right away. Automatically right? more sexual. And so I, I'm, when I coach young women, I said, you got to be very careful about touching the men the same way you touch your girlfriends. They will be confused by it. Even if you are totally platonic and just, oh, he's a great dude. And I just want to give him a hug every time I see him. Mm-hmm. More often than not, it's going to confuse him. And so, yes, once we have that romantic interest, a romantic bond, those touches mean different things. And that can move things one way or the other. Yeah. And that socialization piece that women have been, and this could be, I think there's a lot of opinions about this, but women are essentially the gatekeepers. At least in our generation, it was guys are going to be guys, boys will be boys. So when you're on a date, it's your job to pace. And and men are socialized to conquest. Yes. And so they get a feather in their cap for how many notches on the bedpost, or I'm going to yep. mix my metaphors because we are our mother's children. So we will mess these up. Love you, mom. But so there's this, and I'm not saying that that's in and of itself horrible. If a woman understands why she needs to, because he does have different hormones raging, the sexual pursuit, we can look at a lot of the research that's looking at hormonal levels right now, even in relationship to the trans debate, because when you have more testosterone, you do have a higher sex drive, period. And the story, and God designed it that way to keep us procreating. But so what do you think about that? Like a guy could say, hey, baby, first couple, I'm laughing because all the guys say, hey, baby, they do that, right? They just straight up, they're like, hey, baby. But (laughs) a guy could say on date number three, I've been doing this research about self-help and I know my love language, (laughs) right? And she'd be like, oh, he does self-help. He actually cares. He's a deep thinker. He'd be like, baby, uh, just all me. So where do you, is the onus on her? Society and culture have produced it that way, which has made men more irresponsible and feeling like they have the freedom to just approach and touch as much as they possibly can until she says no. How's that work for us? If we look at the last 25, 30 years, it's a disaster. So it needs to be equal, needs to be responsible. And when I'm teaching men about these things, like I'll be doing over the next couple of weeks with the football team here at Judson, we talk about our responsibility and our authority and our leadership is actually to restrain that, contain that and appropriately move slowly along the way. Different values will come involved yeah. on this touch process. And again, touch means different things for different people, not just gender related, experientially. Some touch components will trigger people automatically. And so a, a date can be moving appropriately speed, appropriately paced, comes to the first significant romantic kiss, and all of a sudden he or she has a pretty strong visceral reaction and, and just like flees. That's difficult too, because now we got to talk about what that touch meant. How do we heal from that touch? That'll be in sexual wound part two. But I see that taking place even in casual connection. And you can watch, and you've been a professor, I've been a professor, producer Tim's a professor. 
even a casual touch with particular students or students will come up and touch me. And sometimes you're like, that wasn't quite an appropriate touch. It wasn't overly sexual or overly inappropriate per se, but it wasn't quite in the proper alignment for the authority position of the student or whatever, or for the faculty member and the student. And those things just got to be addressed, in my opinion. So when those triggers hit or someone crosses those lines, whether it's the guy or the girl and the romantic side, it needs to be shared. It needs to be discussed. It needs to be opened. Otherwise, those things tend to progress. We know the intimacy, erogenous zone vulnerabilities will grow and increase. They won't naturally slow down. So if we think we went a little too far this time, next time we better know it's going to keep going. So that's why I think we get into this default mode of it'll just work itself out. And yes, it will. Not the direction that you want for sustaining and maintaining that build of the courtship. Yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a tension there because women, I think, historically and culturally have had to have that be their job. And they don't want, really want to be gatekeeper. They want this to be a true development of their physical intimacy that's a partnership. But they do feel like they, they feel like, okay, it's my job. And I think a lot of women, especially our older listeners who've been in and out of marriages or in and out of a lot of relationships, that touch means a lot more about comfort and care and security and safety. And sure, sex might come out of that. But a lot of times for the middle-aged guy who's been through the same thing, the touch of sexuality first will build the care and comfort and security. So we have this different, what touch means and how sex is used can be in an interesting paradox between the two genders. And that's why it needs to be discussed. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but women oftentimes give more physical touch in this case. They give their bodies, they give sex, hoping to get love. And that doesn't always happen. And then again, that fracturedness that you've talked about, and they can feel very used and Whereas a man, and we've talked about this as well, but a man, like in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, of course, from the female perspective, I'm like, protect yourselves, women, protect yourselves. You have to protect that, your bodies and your mind, because once you've given yourself physically, you're going to... The emotions go right with it. Catch feels, as the kids say nowadays. And then the corollary is men can maybe love bomb or give a lot of attention and try to convince the woman that he's got this emotional connection to her in order to get that sex. So yeah. it can be a really vicious cycle. Yeah, and so if we concretize this a little bit, one of your favorite words to talk about this aspect of love. First of all, I want, just like the loneliness message talked about, loneliness is a part of our everyday human condition. Touch is 100% a part of our everyday human condition. And some of the research I was listening to this weekend again talks about what they've recognized with young people, for example, in the school systems that can no longer be hugged by teachers or oh. coaches. And of course, that's because that was abused terribly. Right. So again, I'm not mad at the systemic for having to be cautious and safe because one abused kid is too many. But the absence of that is making gigantic differences in people's understanding of holistic self-care and comfort and how they give and receive love. And if they're not getting it at home, can't get it at school, can't get it at church, where are they getting it? Right. So this touch factor, to be very strategic about it, we need it. Every single human being needs it. And the moment you have some type of commitment in your partnership, I think there has to be some kind of defined conversation about what that's going to look like, whether that's just simple hugs and kisses or it's sex or what aspects of sex we're doing, right? All those things matter and they're totally related to the physiological and the emotional 100% every single time. And that would seem, I think for so many people, oh my gosh, that'd be so awkward to have that conversation. And I've always thought even back way back when I was dating, I remember thinking, if you can't talk about what you're doing when the lights are off, 
maybe you shouldn't be doing it because yes. you're not mm-hmm. emotionally connected enough to have that conversation. Or vulnerable enough or right. feeling trusted enough. or And maybe you shouldn't because maybe it's two weeks in. So yeah, you shouldn't exactly. feel any of those things and feel that comfort level. So again, in these recovery marriages I work with so often, sometimes we go right back to fundamentals. Let's talk through what kind of touch now. Maybe there's been adultery or something that has been totally violated. So maybe sex is going to be out of it for a little bit. What kind of touches are we going to rebuild? It sounds so simple. It might seem like people are like, why would I go to counseling for this? Sometimes it's just like a hug and a kiss in the morning and a hug and a kiss when people both get back together. Start super simple, but every day. So it starts in the morning, ends in the evening when you get home or at bed at night. Just building touch connection again, because we know all it does neurologically, hormonally, it's so vital. So the idea of even if there's been infidelity and then trying to rebuild the marriage, the idea that touch wouldn't be a part of it at all because of the violation, it's going to be hard to create that bond again. That intimacy is going to be harder to cultivate without, again, the pacing. I know you don't like to say starting over, you say... Starting new. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. So let's also talk about, as we wrap up, what about couples who maybe there hasn't been a big violation or a crack, but more just they're just missing each other? So does it go back to, okay, let's take the quiz and let's recognize and see the score on the paper and go, you can tell that this is a love language for me. It isn't for you, but how do we meet each other's needs? And that's why the two documents that our producer or one of our social media Natalia, our social media queen, that she'll put up there for us. Because I think those they're just tools. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's very difficult to talk about these things. So that's why I create all these documents to help us make you categorize them, make them get them from the unconscious to the conscious to the present. Thinking about it is not enough. Got to talk about it as well. So yes, the communication aspect of the touch and even identifying what does the touch mean. Yeah. Big. And then how does that relate to love? Because we wouldn't think of, for example, not touching our toddler every day in some kind of significant way. Even generally neutral parents are going to recognize that. So why do we think in a marriage or romantic relationship, there should be no touching at all. But if we go too fast or we go, or we move too sexual and stop any other general affection, that's a big issue in couples. I I have couples all the time where the wife says, well, the sex is great, but I feel like that's all the touch. Right. Where's the general affection? Where's just, I love you as a holistic person, not just because you're wonderful and better. You have a wonderful body that I find beautiful. Any of those things, right? It's got to be holistic, and that's why I think tools and discussions and podcasts like these hopefully get them into the everyday reality of the conversation and cognitive thoughts in the family. Yeah, you hear that from women sometimes. Oh, yeah, he'll come and give me a hug and kiss my neck while I'm doing dishes. But I know that that's just because he's trying to warm me up. <laughs> Where yeah. she's maybe I just want a nice little hug and a nice kiss without necessarily. Yeah. And if that's every day, that's fine. Because if that's a part of the love expression, the touch expression, then it's not always tied to a reward of sex unless it's a couple that can have it every day. It's not that common. But in that case, if there's not regulatory touching like that, then it becomes symbolized or what's the word I'm looking for, bonded or associated just with that. Right. And then we can feel used or 
disconnected. Yeah. And it's not a bad idea for him to try to warm her up. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying that it's also, if that's her love language, it's nice to provide that without that necessarily being the foreplay or the preamble to, to sex. I just think it's so, just like we talked about, or at least I talked about on the words of affirmation, touch is so vital every single day. We're not going to give gifts. Every single day, there could be certain acts of service that'll be there or certain quality time. But once you have a bunch of kids and a bunch of busyness, you're not going to get quality time every day. But touch can be there every day. And words of affirmation, like you yeah. said. And one of the couples I worked with this weekend, he's a fireman. And of course, he's gone Yeah. two days a week where he's just not with her. And they're real new in their relationship and, and their uh, partnership. And so we are talking about building transitional processes for when he's getting ready to go on his double shift mm-hmm. and transitional processes on the way in. And we started with words of affirmation and touch because she's saying she immediately felt that severance, even though he's mm. very committed, very connected. There's no major issues in this relationship at the moment. And so we talked about what does that look like? And we came down to certain statements, certain touches. That reminds me of something that we will continue to talk a lot about because it's a very hot topic. But when you said that she felt this, that severance between them, the emotional intimacy, I'm wondering, I went to attachment. Does mm-hmm. she have a bit of anxious attachment? Absolutely, yeah. And so when we talk about ways, tangible ways to address any attachment style, these love languages can absolutely be those building blocks to try to address and move through some of whatever kind of attachment issues we may feel. Yeah. And I think you hitting that again at that moment is very key. We did touch on it a little bit earlier in this podcast, but I would go to our other podcast about the attachment styles Yeah, because nothing's more directly related to touch than that. Yeah. And we'll, like I said, we'll continue to talk about that and get into more physical touch with the sexual woundedness episode that will be released in the next couple of weeks. Elliot, anything else that we need to leave the listeners with? I would think I would say something that's going to sound funny, but touch each other, just do it appropriately. All right. Let me pray for our listeners. All right. Lord, thank you for the gift of touch. Thank you, Lord, that it's a part of how we're wired. Every single baby is wired automatically with the need for touch. Actually, almost, Lord, as important as air and food and milk. And so I pray, Lord, for our listeners, whatever stages of love and touch and intimacy they're in, if they're looking for that, building that, or in a committed relationship, may they learn more about their own attachment and the touch piece of that, the touch language, all of our love languages this week, and uh, learn how to be safely and courageously open and vulnerable at the right time, at the right pace to share these key and important conditions for such an important language as touch. Bless our listeners, Lord, with their touch and the touches they receive. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our five love languages series. Stay tuned because Elliot's got those extra love languages that are inspired by Dr. Chapman's work, and he wants to share those with you in a bonus episode we'll roll out next week. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm Pastor Elliot Anderson. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.